The practice of love offers no place of safety. We risk loss, hurt, pain. We risk being acted upon by forces outside our control. Bell Hooks. The Dragon Pod from Bending Not Breaking. Book Five, Ocean. Chapter Eight, Finnegrin's Wake. And we're back for another episode of The Dragon Pod. This is your host, Ben Pruitt, and I am thrilled that everyone is here listening. And I know you've all been waiting for this episode. This is a big one. Lots happening. So much going on. So much Arcanum things. There's, It's just a really cool thing going on. And I wanted to make sure that we had some incredible guests for you this whole season and I'm going to be real with y'all. I didn't hold back on this episode. I am excited to introduce to you all, some of you for the first time, some of you will have heard these voices before, but uh, first I'll introduce Devin Geel, uses she, her pronouns, and is the lead writer and producer on the Dragon Prince team, and recently has tweeted a significant amount about Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, Devin is a pro podcaster with us at this point and has uh, brought someone this time to make it even better. That's right, folks. We have another guest, and our other guest is Ian Hendry, uses he his pronouns, and he is a longtime writer with Wonderstorm team alongside Devin. And Ian recently tweeted about being emotionally compromised by a game called Triangle Strategy. Uh, and we have them joining us together because they had a big part in writing today's episode. And I'm thrilled to welcome you both. Uh, who wants to go first and say how you're doing? How's life? What's going on? Well, first, we're clearly going to have to have some kind of like side podcast where we argue about whether or not Baldur's Gate 3 is more emotionally ravaging than Triangle Strategy. Um, I think I've got that one on lock, though. Devin, you don't understand the challenges of having to fight Gustadolf's forces when he clearly cannot win this war. But maybe he knows something that you don't. I got I, I could rhapsodize this game about this game for a little while, but essentially it really surprised me. All the characters talk in like really stuffy formality. It bombards you with a bunch of politics and world history and proper nouns for three hours. And I'm like, this is stupid. I'm just in for, for the strategy RPG nonsense. And then three hours later, I'm like, on the verge of tears because it's <laughs> it's got its hooks into me. So, uh, Baldur's Gate Three is a stupid game for losers. Ah, uh, okay, you win. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not I, true. I love Baldur's Gate Three as well. Please don't attack me online. I will person. admit I have not played it yet. I had someone give it to me for my birthday, but I was in the middle of my Final Fantasy Sixteen run through, and so I have yet to play it because grad school started, and here we are. It's okay. Uh, It'll be there later, but it's totally worth it. Good, good yeah, game. I'll get to it eventually one day. Um, but yeah, welcome both of you. I'm I'm thrilled to have you for this emotionally ravaging episode. Um, and you all had a really interesting uh, history with it, having spent a majority of your time writing it. So I'm excited to dive in. But before we do. I uh, just want to hear just a little bit more about you all and how's how's life? What's new with you? Um, what are what are things that are uh, on your mind these days? Uh, people know that we're married, right? That's, <laughs> that's, 
It's like I'll just I'll say that you're, you're married. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, somehow we managed to be married and work together at the same time, which is a whole other thing. But Ian, what's up? What's going on? Oh, you know this and that. Uh, I guess we announced recently, so I guess we could say it here. But it's been a pretty big year for us. Uh, you know, we moved. Uh, Dragon Prince season five came out. Uh, that's probably the biggest one. And then also, uh, we're expecting a child very soon. Anyway, we can move on from there. <laughs> the biggest thing is Dragon Prince season five for sure. Um, absolutely incredible. Uh, it's like a it's like a baby, you know. It's out in the world now and growing up and um, very yeah. exciting. <laughs> all on its own. Yeah, it's all on its own now. Uh, man, people are talking about it, critiquing it, giving it all the all the things, all the tweets um or posts now Ew, and gross. that is why we won't tweet or share a lot about our real life baby <laughs> not <laughs> not the uh subject to the scrutiny of the internet the way that a, a season of fiction can be indeed yeah well i i wish you both well and may bless you received from all your all the people who would send them to you um amazing so tell me about what it has been like uh on from your perspective to have season five drop what what has been your experience with with the drop of the season what has been um your thoughts and feelings around it um i think this episode <laughs> that we're about to get into uh caused a bit i don't know if more of a splash than i expected is quite right i kind of knew that we uh pushed some boundaries with this one and that people would react uh to it but um, honestly, it's been kind of a joy. I think there's a lot of kind of thematic heft that we were hoping people would pick up uh, in this kind of arc of episodes towards the end of the season here. And they definitely have done that from my uh, read of the community and gone, you know, even <clears throat> further beyond kind of like picking up a lot of great, interesting character threads. So I don't know. I think there's no kind of bigger joy for a writer than uh, seeing an audience uh, dig really, really deep into it, share what you know, all the kind of themes and the character developments mean to them uh, and kind of develop beyond that. So uh, it's been really great from my perspective. Amazing. Anything, does that echo your your thoughts, Devin? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a little like cheeky and indulgent with this one because I feel like um, <laughs> my, my personal taste runs quite a bit darker and grittier than my actual work on the Dragon Prince, which I love working on, but sometimes I have to indulge my, my actual taste. And I got to do that a little bit in this episode, admittedly. Um, yeah. And, <laughs> to, you know, we kept talking as we were working on it. We would ask ourselves, like, can we actually do that? We're going to get in trouble. And Netflix let us do all the things that are in this episode. So I'm still a little surprised. Um, and I don't think I think we were tasteful. I, I don't I never like to claim that we do stuff just to be shocking or like to push boundaries on purpose. But like, the the roughness of the episode, I think, contributes heavily to the themes we were going for, and that mm -hmm. is what made it worth doing in that particular tone. So it, it makes me happy because I love to write stuff with this level of heaviness. Um, oh yeah. And so I indulgently, I'm really happy that people liked it because I'm like, yes, it's me too. <laughs> Proof of concept. We can do more. 
Amazing. Yeah. So let's like, I'm, I'm curious, y'all have been hinting at these, these moments. And of course, most of the people have theoretically watched this episode already, but I'm curious if we dive into you all as kind of this primal source here being around uh, some of these moments that you were hesitant about, or these moments that you were like, Ooh, can we include that? Or, uh, definitely do this but like should we uh i'm curious what those moments are from your perspective um or if not that then just the details around how some of this came about what what made this episode happen where did it come from i'll share the very first one i wasn't sure we were going to be able to do is not something that's darker horrible is just the sea shanty at the beginning like was this bug that I had in my brain since um, I, I first wanted to do it somewhere in the um, the initial episodes with Vilas in season two. I was like, we should write like a fun little song and have it play on the end credits. And it didn't get any traction then. But this time around, I was like, I really wanted to write a stupid <laughs> little song. Um, and y when you when you pitch stuff like this, it's it's technically it's so high effort. And you, you have to internalize, like, it could get cut at any time just because there's more valuable things to be spending your time and money and effort on when you're making a cartoon on a TV budget. So I kept yeah. thinking at every stage, like, we're going to trim the song, we're going to trim the song. And it never got trimmed. And so, it, it, you know, we something we, quote, got away with is this very sort of, like, special and standalone intro that took a lot of effort and time. And we had, you know... Tons of people had to go sing backup vocals, including Ian. He's in there somewhere. Um, the amount of effort required to get just like a minute and a half of like special high high uh, high effort music in a 22 episode, a 22 minute episode of television was surprising to me and made me surprised that it survived. So that's the first thing is we, we got to do the special little intro. But then Ian, you talk about all the other stuff we got away with. <laughs> Um, this was definitely, I would say, the hardest episode to write, to break the story on, of this entire season. Um, I don't think we came into it knowing literally everything that would, like, sometimes, some episodes, you kind of know what the episode has to accomplish from a kind of story perspective, and then all of the, you know, the characters being the characters kind of, uh, gets you there uh with all the kind of like the themes and stuff just present themselves to you and it all clicks together in a really pleasant way this episode had a far higher than usual uh sitting in silence in at this point a zoom call because for season four and five we transitioned to uh uh video chats like we're on just now for writing the the show and i think this was the first time in the first couple seasons uh, the first couple seasons back that we'd had that kind of like sitting in absolute silence, not being totally sure how to proceed <laughs> with some of the tough episodes, yeah. uh, questions of the episode. Um, and that was extra awkward for me over um, video chat. I think there, we were still kind of like developing our new norms around, um, <laughs> you know, trying to fill the silence. Can you tell if anyone has anything going on? But um, to go into the kind of, you know, thing of control, I think uh, sometimes when you're doing kind of group writing, that can be extremely anxiety inducing when you're like, are we getting anywhere? Are we doing anything? Are we completely lost at sea uh, uh, on this episode here? But, um, you know, sometimes you do have to to trust that the brains in the room are ticking uh, the, you know, sometimes that you just need the, the time to mull things over um, yeah. and you don't need to just start saying things for the sake of saying things. 
But also sometimes it's worth throwing out your little bad idea. Find the things you can control and help uh, nudge the ship forwards. Yeah. Generally speaking, I am really, this is from my personal, personal opinion here. I like do really well when I'm collaborating on, on projects with plans and implementation, but the, like I feel the anxiety bubbling in my stomach when I imagine like writing a creative thing in collaboration with other people. Like I'm just like, ah, creativity more by myself. Like, <laughs> and so I just imagine sitting in a room trying to be creative with people about writing, especially when everyone's so bought in and has, it feels such high stakes, I imagine. Um, yeah, I just have a little anxiety ball in my stomach just thinking about it. Uh, so I totally understand. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, um, there's a funny feeling that happens where when something that was previously extremely formless and terrifying, you know, the kind of like, mm. there's classic writer advice when you're just kind of writing something by yourself to get something down on the blank page because uh, obsessing over trying to get it to be perfect first time is impossible. But it's... Yeah. Uh, it's a more abstract uh, feeling kind of happens when you're doing it in that kind of like, you know, group uh, outlining uh, session, but it's still extremely satisfying. And my heart kind of leaps when I start to feel like there's a shape to an episode that I can actually, you know, kind of like metaphorically grab onto. Um, and yeah, that's the kind of, I guess, the anxiety of uh, feeling lack of control slowly going away and feeling like, okay, I think I know the direction here. I think I know what we can do with this. Yeah wild it's wild to me and and you've you've given us the segue i think to the the lens for today and so we've talked about control and control there are times where uh being on the nose with a lens is a little like meh it's a little boring but there's so much <laughs> around control and so many aspects that are touched on that i think it is a really apt way to to dive into this episode even though it's like verbatim talked about by all the characters um yeah I, I mean it's it's really a a big word and so i would love to to unpack it a little bit and identify like one like what is it <laughs> and two like you've given us a little example from from your perspective ian but maybe Devin, if you have a a time where you've experienced control uh, i'd love to hear kind of like what control feels like or lack of it feels like maybe for you as well does that make that was a, a series of questions how do we feel how do we feel about tackling those great, great. <laughs> um so You're in control now. first of all first of all yeah i'm in control got this um in terms of the the lens being extremely on the nose i totally agree this is admittedly one of those types of episodes where all the characters say the theme out loud like and, and almost look at the camera about it but hopefully they don't look at it too hard um, which is like a choice, you know, like sometimes you just the theme is so present that it just comes out that way. Um, but I think like part of the reason that I enjoyed writing this episode so much is that like my own relationship with control is very fraught and I'm, I have like a very difficult time with not having it in, in like really sort of mundane ways sometimes. Um, anyway, I, I guess you, you asked like, what does control mean? And, um, it's sort of the ability to direct your own experience, your own fate, your own direction uh, in life and all things. Uh, and that can be like huge picture. And it can also be like, 
Uh, I personally, one thing that I'm always being self-deprecating about is that I don't let anybody else drive ever because I consider myself arrogantly a better driver than the whole world, which is possibly, and you know, possibly extremely ironic if I end up dying tomorrow in a car accident. But um, I th I have this That's like. Not. <laughs> sorry i'm a really glib person about this but um no but i mean it, i have this sort of like weird need for that to be the case which is like i and i joke about it being like it's a good manifestation of my weird control freak issues because you know uh it means my friends can have more fun and i'm totally okay being like designated driver or whatever and yeah. I'll, I'll just like take the responsibility because i feel like i'm best at it um which is not, it's not really like a, a, a good story or anything, but that's sort of like the, the weird little micro uh, manifestation of something that I struggle with, like as a whole. Um, oh, I think that's a really good example. I think that really helps us because I think that it's those it's those little anecdotes around the, the moments that are <laughs> like probably maybe not ubiquitous, but certainly accessible to so many people. Um, like I, I can definitely think of places in which I'm like, nope, I do that because I'm, I feel like I am better than, and so it's this, in, it's an interesting, like control has a relationship with comparison in a way is what we're, what we're gleaning from this, which is really interesting to think about. And I think we can see that in the episode too. So I, I think that's a really a neat way to, to expand on that. And I do think it, there's like, yeah, there, there's this comparison and then it can, like I said, I think this is a, a positive manifestation because I'm like, I will take control of this particular situation because I think it is safest if I'm the one doing this. And I can get myself and my friends all through this uh, very statistically dangerous activity if I am the one in control of it. Um, but then, I mean, that same thing in a, in a situation where it's not about driving a car, you know, control can be an incredibly selfish endeavor you know i am protecting only me i yeah. am acting out of anxiety to you know control what happens in make sure that it lands in my favor and nothing bad can happen to me but you know at the at the cost of everybody else and i think that's kind of what the episode sort tends to veer for it's an interesting comparison too because i i think about the quote of like a ship is safe in its harbor but that's not what ships are built for um and i i think about like we we attempt to control the safety of this ship by like protecting it from what it is destined to do theoretically and it, i'm reminded of the opening quote from bell hooks of around, around love and love excuse my my southern accent um uh the practice of love offers no place of safety, right? We risk loss, hurt, and pain. And anytime we get in a car, like we are risking loss, hurt, safety, pain, uh, because we risk being acted upon by forces outside of our control. Like the only thing we can control is how we maneuver on the road. And there are millions of other cars. Um, and so it's an interesting perspective to think like, when do I think I have control and what I have control over? And then like how that is compared to the larger fact of the, that I am surrounded by other people who have agency. And it's wild. It's wild to think about. It's very scary. And I think it is. And, and the thing I'll probably get into more in the actual episode discussion, but I think it is a very important step in like self-awareness and growing up is is understanding the like the the friction between your own agency and your ability to impact the world versus 
the world's ability to do the exact same thing back at you and exactly how those those forces interact and can uh, really, really uh, make things suck. Or you can <laughs> make it rule. I don't know. It, it's too hard. It's it's an un, unsolvable problem. But yeah, that's that's sort of the like actual grit to me of specifically what Callum is going through in in the episode. Absolutely. I brought a I brought a little personal story that Devin's gonna be mad at me for sharing afterwards. But uh, <laughs> what does control mean to me? Go um, for it. Uh, fight there, after. <laughs> there was a time before Devin and I were dating where uh, we had both kind of laid our cards on the table, so to speak. Uh, we knew there was romantic interest there, um, but Devin was not currently in a place in her life where she was able to to you know commit to to me to Ian Hendry, um, and that was you know naturally frustrating to me, um, and there was a day where I was hanging out with my uh, our good friend uh, and we weren't really sure what was going through Devin's mind uh, we kind of made it a point where you know we kind of kind of have to to step back it's kind of like uh let her think things through etc and it was actually uh, Valentine's Day and I was going to just get a drink with my friend and kind of hang out and I was kind of like I don't know what I should be doing here right like um I feel like I've said what I I want to say I don't know what's going through Devin's mind um but I'm just kind of like, it's just kind of painful to, to sit here and do nothing uh, about it. And my friend uh, just kind of said, look, you've done everything you can do. Everything else about this situation is out of your control. Like, uh, it's it's on it's on Devin now. I think, you know, the wheels are turning in the right direction. But if they're not, you're just going to have to be okay with that. The thing you're doing right now, sitting here, drinking a Sprite, you're doing exactly the right thing that you should be doing right now. And then it did work out, <laughs> giving Devin time and space to think through things. Clearly, now we just, uh, we are now married and writing episodes of The Dragon Prince together. So, uh, yeah, sometimes you just got to sit down, drink a Sprite. That's all you can do. That's all you should be doing. I hate you. No, uh, that was a tumultuous time in my life where... I was I I love the image. This is I'll I'll, let, I'll leave it at that image of it distilled down to like me really going through it somewhere in the dark and like Ian sitting there drinking a sprite. Like I think that's actually that's a perfect summation of like what was this now ten years ago? Jeez, it was ten years ago. I hate to think that. Another thing we don't have control over the march <laughs> of time. <laughs> yeah, that's that's for sure. Man, all right. So okay, there I, there are so many thoughts that are going through my head around control, and I have to hold. I'm gonna have to control myself here and hold those back a little bit uh, because I want to wait till we get to the actual discussion of the episode. Uh, but before we do, we want to remind our listeners uh, what went down in the episode. And so I'm gonna toss it to either of you. You know what's coming. We have the responsibility to offer our listeners a 30 second recap. Uh, so I will do one. I will I will own it instead of making both of you do it. But one of you or both of you are are going to offer us a 30 second recap. How how would you like to approach this? I'll give it a go. Ian's doing I... it for, as cost for sharing the personal story. Yep. Amazing. Let me get my little stopwatch up here. Yeah. Uh, whenever you're ready, I can count you in. Yep. I'm good to go. All right, three, two, one, go. Previously on the Dragon Prince, uh, the gang is trying to find Arabus's prison. They now know where it is and what it is, uh, but they need to get there and they get a boat. Uh, but they get got by a bad guy who also has a better boat. Uh, so now they're stuck on the boat. Now on this episode, uh, Callum is being tortured by a bad guy. Bad guy wants a spell. 
to uh, get control of the ocean again. That's the theme. Uh, and it's not going well because Cal won't cough it up because he's never done dark magic before, except that's a lie. He totally has done dark magic before. Uh, the guy does a bunch of kind of like psychological torture on Callum as well, uh, offering control over the situation, which he doesn't really have, blah, blah, blah. Callum refuses, but uh, Callum gets frustrated and punches him in the face, which causes more torture, including uh, maybe the death of his girlfriend. But then Callum has a cool little epiphany uh, about uh, the ocean and it gives him special powers to uh, win the fight against the big bad man. Uh, that was way over 30 seconds, but we did it. it. Was, but I was like, <laughs> why did you do it previously on? Because <laughs> you had to understand why they were on the boat, right? No. <laughs> you know, Netflix skips those automatically, even though we painstakingly put those together. Well, you can tell Netflix not to skip them automatically, which is what I have to do, because otherwise... <laughs> anyway, I digress. All right, I have my timer ready to go. Will you count me in? Absolutely. You ready? Ready. Three, two, one, go. All right, so there's a she shanty, and then Finnegan wants just a little spell, and so he tortures Callum to kill Domina and wants that. And then where's Janai? And then Ferris appeals to the high Sunfire Court people, and everybody wants to lose a hand for Callum. And then Amaya's a boss until Kimmy shows up with Janai. And then Finnegan's a bloodbender. And then Callum caves when Rayla's threatened. And then Kareem is just a murderous jerk murder man. And then Janai serves, survives and is a badass. And then Callum escapes and sinks with the ocean. And then Elmer and Soren have a moment. And then Finnegan's fish food. And then Callum uses dark magic again. Woo! Looks like you've done it. You have training this sort of thing <laughs> I, I have been doing this for five years <laughs> uh and still and still i can like two episodes ago i had a terrible terrible one with with jesse as the guest um and so i was just like man i i really flubbed on this one so even even the pros mess up i'm just saying that's um, good five six <laughs> i have to hear it maybe maybe not going a full 30 seconds over the 30 seconds but um it is. <laughs> I have no sense of time. Just don't okay. do it previously, on Ian. Take that's your takeaway. So <laughs> when we come back for a season six episode, I'm going to remind you. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Okay. So uh, I'm I'm going to toss it to you all first. You can. There's there are so many different ways we could we could approach this, uh, and so I'm going to toss it to either of you. What is a moment? of control in this episode that you'd like to tap into first. We're gesturing at each other on Zoom. You can't <laughs> you can't hear that, but we're just um I guess like I, I'll I'll talk about Finnegan a little just up top uh, as the sort of antagonist who sort of embodies this theme uh as a as a bit of a monster. This this is a a guy <laughs> of of massive charisma um he controls things through force of personality until push comes to shove and you actually find out he has a very like significantly visceral way of exerting control um as his sort of fallback and um one line that i really like of his is when that reveal occurs he explains that you know he you get the impression that his personality has a lot to do with it but he explains that this is actually the reason people follow me and obey me and are, you know, my whole crew is sort of this silent, dead-eyed fear factory <laughs> um, oh. is because his ability to, like, cause this incredible physical distress at uh, the moment he is crossed at a certain 
line. Um, and that's the Icy Vein spell, which is a, a torture spell. It's excruciating. Um, and he says, the chains are just for show. Wow. Um, which I, I think is very melodramatic of him, but I really admire that he, he takes this so literally that he still puts chains on people. He still sort of like talks this big game about, you know, right. giving people the freedom of, of choice to follow him, the, the illusion of, you know, I give you that choice to figure out who is going to lose a hand and whatnot. But re- when it really comes down to it is he's going to get his way and he, he knows he's going to get his way because he has this, uh, this ability to cause harm. Um, and I find that to be a moment that's very revealing for who he is. Uh, he's sort of bullshitting about the theme the whole time and and he's allowing people to believe themselves free but at the end of the day he has the self-assurance that i will win and i think that comes from a place well i'll get into it in a bit ian you you do one (laughs) (laughs) no i mean it's really interesting to me that his closest henchman uh deadwood as he calls him uh is the one person on the ship that he cannot use that spell on. And obviously, it seems like a, a tactical error by the end of the episode. We'll get into that. But I can only imagine that for someone like Finnegan, that was kind of his reassurance that it's not just magical powers. Like, if I lost my magical powers, I would still have it. Like, this person is much more physically powerful than me. Uh, my kind of, like, special talents uh, cannot control him if he's ever against me. And yet, uh, he does everything I say. So, uh, you know, just just the sheer force of who I am is enough to control this person. And it takes a fairly, you know, major breakthrough with another character that I'm sure we'll talk about later uh, to crack through that for for Deadwood. So in a, in a lot of ways, Finnegan was, was absolutely right. The chains were just for show. Uh, the magic was not always necessary to, to get what he wants. But, hey, being able to freeze the blood in someone's veins is probably faster and easier than uh, cultivating a mental lock on someone uh yeah it's very machiavellian i think it was machiavelli right like the um i'd rather people fear me than love me yes uh, it is better to be feared than loved is, yeah that's and the prince it's like it's a very uh we are seeing that manifested in in Finnegan, it feels like it, i i uh, I'm going to, he never says that. He's never like, I'm going to control you through fear. But it's implied that everyone knows that he has the power to freeze them, right? Like, and so it's one of those things where he may, ne- he may, like, he all he has to do is threaten it once. And everybody's like, oh, oh, oh okay, this guy. Um, yeah, and it, and it commands a certain element of power. Uh, and that power gives him control. And it, so there's a there's a few things I think that are attached to that, right? It's this one, this cultivation of quote loyalty by their devotion to what he can accomplish because he's so powerful, but also this loyalty out of fear of if I don't listen to him, then I'm a dead person, right? And then there's Elmer, right? or the deadwood and so it's it's this interesting as you say like is not controlled through the fear of being like control like i I really want like the the story of becoming deadwood that's that's the story i want of how did that happen what are the steps and uh tactics used 
to lead to such like frankly deep de- I would I'm I'm gonna again I'm gonna say dehumanization. This has been a theme this season, but it's not dehumanization, right? Because Elmer's not human. Um, but it's this depersonalizing, this deep personhood ing of a person. Okay, I've lost my track. Anyway. No, I think you're you're, you're definitely <laughs> on something that it. I kind of wanna <laughs> I mean I think there's no kind of like you know secret uh story in a box that we've written of the entire backstory of of, of uh Deadwood and Elmer, etc. But like I think you can infer a great number of things just based on what you see in the show. I mean, uh, on uh, the island on the ship, uh, Elmer seems to be the only one of his kind. Um, Finnegan frequently refers to him as, you know, things like teak freak, etc. Very kind of like, uh, you know, marginalizing language, very isolating language. Um, and I think uh, it's kind of going back to the, the quote at the top of the show. Uh, it's easy to kind of like, tangle up ideas of belonging and love and so on with that kind of with that kind of uh fear and, and thought, thoughts of home it's like does has deadwood ever thought that there was anything else he could do but this does he think anyone else would ever understand him quote unquote like finnegan does etc cetera, etc cetera. and i think if you're able to over time and i imagine uh this uh horrible relationship probably goes back uh a, a good length of time um if you tr- truly isolate someone and make them able to, you know, completely doubt their sense of self, uh, you can you can do some truly horrible things to their brain. <laughs> yeah, uh, like and like I I don't think that this is off the mark to compare this to like a domestic abuse experience either, where there are times in which, <clears throat> excuse me, where people will question how someone would stay with an abusive partner, and like people will, there's a lot of judgment around like, why won't you, why don't you just leave? Um, And I I think what we're seeing is this is a version of how that can manifest in the sense that when you don't know you can leave, when you don't know there's a better option, when you don't know. And so like this, this moment of Soren resisting by choosing to take physical violence and show that you can stand up to this and show that there's another way is a really interesting like situation here. Cause like what Soren is showing Deadwood is that he is lovable and he is worthy of someone caring for him, even though he is doing these things. And I think that it's, really fascinating that Soren is the one like Rayla was about to go nuts (laughs) and take on Elmer and it was about to be a a big deal and then Soren's like no that's not what he needs and there's something to say about the kind of control Soren has over himself and how that led to the gaining of control for, from Deadwood to Elmer. Um, how we like wh- what's going through y'all's heads as I as, <laughs> as I talk about that? That's that was a lot. No, I mean I think uh, you know it's pretty clear. Soren kind of directly alludes to it that um, he sees in Deadwood something he himself has been through a shade of right. Um, yeah. And I kind of want to contrast to uh, Callum's reaction when he suddenly feels this kind of loss of control is to 
suddenly try and physically attack Finnegan. He tries to punch him in the face, and that's his kind of like reassertion of control over this uh, situation. Um, obviously, it doesn't work in that moment. Um, but, you know, I think uh, there's only so much control that one individual person, even if they have special magical powers, can exert over a situation. And what, you know, Finnegan has cultivated over this time, over, you know, an entire crew, an entire island of ne'er-do-wells, etc., is kind of the power of uh, narratives in people's heads and so on. I think we'll get into that a little bit with um, with maybe the, the, the B plot in, in a while. But I think Soren can kind of see and remembers all the times that he tried to use his individual actions to, you know, exert control over situation. He thought his dad didn't love him because Soren wasn't good enough. And then he spent a long time trying to like be knight in shining armor, who did, you know, all the, uh, you know, important things that his dad would want him to do for the greatness of humanity, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe almost killed a child who was meant to be king. Uh, and none of that worked. None of that was, was the correct thing to do at all. Um, and I think, you know, Soren did eventually have the the realization, the epiphany that uh, that was not how to exert control over the situation. He kind of had to relinquish uh, that as kind of a a, a futile goal. Uh, so I think here Soren is now able to see again, like I'm not going to beat this into submission. Like I I can I do have something I can offer though in this situation, which is empathy and maybe a chance to have this person see outside of the story they've been told about who they are uh this whole time and maybe see something more true uh, and less harmful to themselves. Just yeah. to tag onto that very slightly, the moment where Soren sort of like stops attempting to to be the person that in season three, Viren is asking him to be and more or less sort of like forcing him to be it um, is yeah. a, a moment where Soren realizes that the greatest amount of control he can exert over the situation is to simply leave, mm -hmm. um, which is a extremely powerful. I, I like people go to therapy to learn that. I did. I had, I had to go to therapy to learn that, that you can just walk out, which mm -hmm. <laughs> is it's such a powerful, like, it feels like relinquishing control, but in some sense, it, it, it's very much taking a great deal of power back. Um, and so I, I really like that you've, Ian, that you've pointed out that that moment for Soren comes in a way where control is muddy. It, it, you could say like, oh, he's running away. He's doing this, that, and the other. But like, to me, he really is saying like, the best thing for me is to friggin' leave and, you know, Go have a sprite somewhere else. I'm, I'm trying to bring back the sprite thing, but yeah, he he goes to the storm spire to have a sprite. Um, anyway, that's <laughs> important. That's an important beat for Sora. Yeah, well, it's interesting because like there's so much going on. There's so much going on. Okay, uh, I, uh, hard to control the conversation. Um, Soren, I, I'm I'm feeling a little hesitance around what I'm like trying to say because it's I, I'm worried it's going to come out wrong but Soren demonstrates for us a tactic for helping people to find their own personal sense of control his tactic is to get wailed upon um and I don't think that the show is arguing nor do I think I am arguing that in order to do this you should put yourself in a position to get wailed upon um however what you've kind of you just gave it language was soren was empathetic soren 
continued to offer grace despite the continued behavior. Um, and it's it's this weird position of like not everyone is in a, a place where they can do that, not just emotionally, but have has the the physical resilience to withstand that kind of experience right like soren is bloodied by the end of this like that no in, in no world am i going to say all right everyone go get punched but in the same way i am going to argue that this is a form of nonviolent resistance that demonstrates that change is possible right through grace through empathy through compassion and I don't know, perhaps under different circumstances and under a different, um, you know, environment where your oppressor is not literally right next to you, that may be, you can choose different tactics. But I I don't know, I in terms of like, how do we get out of the control of our oppressors, our abusers, our people, say no. You're like walking away is something that we can learn about. And then when people are able to demonstrate compassion, empathy, et cetera, um, that's, that's, that feels very complex to me. I'm curious if either of you can help me maybe, or if I've completely missed the mark. Um, I definitely agree. I don't think the, the show is looking directly at the audience and saying the best way to uh, make people yeah. understand and see the abuse in their situations is to just get hit a lot. Um, I do think the show has a lot to say in complex ways that are often sometimes contradictory because that's the nature of existence exactly. is it there is no one answer about how to stop like cycles. Uh, cycles of violence is such a cheesy term at this point, but it really is kind of about that, like how to True. make people see themselves in the in and their roles in these things that perpetuate. Um, and I think this is a tactic that Soren is uniquely capable of presenting in this situation where, you know, I think Ian was right in pointing out that Callum almost proved to Deadwood uh, Elmer that he's right to follow Finnegan in that here's this violent little thing that Finnegan's trying to control, gets out of control for a minute, Finnegan gets punched, of course, you know, like what we needed here was more physical assertion of dominance. Um, Whereas Soren, there's actually the moment where he, you know, he wards off Callum and Rayla and you know, gives him the space to let Deadwood do this perform this performance of, you know, asserting Finnegan's will. And Soren's unique way of giving Finnegan the space to sort of like do what he the only thing he knows, but not make him it's not his fault. I, th th this is again very, very complicated, very, very nuanced, and I'm, I'm I don't. With... I again, I don't <laughs> need. I don't want this to come across as like this is the main theme of the show ever. But this is one particular example of like empathy and forgiveness of someone who has, you know, perpetuated Finnegan's cruelty. But Soren is in a place where he can understand that that's not who Deadwood Elmer ultimately is or wants to be. And giving him the space to see that and actually play out a situation in which, you know, his method of exerting control doesn't prevail, yeah. uh, really gives Deadwood the space to realize like, oh, I don't, this isn't necessary. You know, like, I don't have to, there's another way. I, so I, have, I just, okay, forgive me. I'm going to connect this to another piece of fiction that 
just boom blasted into my head. So I was a fan of the inheritance cycle, which is Aragon and the, the four books where we, everybody goes dragon riding. Um, and in this book, they utilize a language, which is not an uncommon trope in which you cannot lie. Um, and everyone has a, uh, a true name, so to speak. And if, of course, if you know someone else's name, you have power over them, things like that. And your true name shifts and changes as you grow and as you become and as you change throughout your life. And, you know, what I'm thinking about is Deadwood has become Deadwood. This name is something that he has begun to embody since he has adapted it and has become an identity. And I, I think what happens is Soren is like awakening and, and reimagining this identity in a way that Deadwood shifts to Elmer, right? This the the literal identity changes. And what is required for that to accomplish is Soren has to show him and remind him that that is already within him. And it's this weird, it's, it's this weird, interesting thing where we have to begin to see ourselves and imagine ourselves differently than we have been acting for so long. And that's really hard to do. And I think that's one of the things that Soren is able to accomplish here. Um, is that too out of left field or does that like resonate with either of you? <laughs> no, that no feels, it, it absolutely yeah. does. I mean, um, you know, we kind of talked about this before about, you know, part of uh, Finnegan's kind of isolating tactics is to make uh, Elmer believe he's someone else. He's he's Deadwood uh, with a certain set of qualities, most of them not very good and would not be appreciated anywhere else but the ship, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and Soren, you know, he kind of has a lot of jokes in season four and five about how it's so fun to be one of the noble adventurers now, right? Like he has kind of reinvented himself in a lot of ways and has tried to like cast, you know, the things he probably regrets doing in the past is like, that was my bad guy arc. I'm on my good guy arc now. <laughs> and I think that this kind of like, um, the story has probably played out a number of times where Finnegan says, okay, this person's not doing what we want them to do. Deadwood punch them. Deadwood punches them. Maybe he has to punch them a second time in some cases, but generally no they then acquiesce to what Finnegan wants, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we're not advocating that uh, in real life, you should literally get yourself punched. If you're in this kind of violent situation, do whatever you can to get help and so on. But this is Soren's way of being able to uh, tell a different story. Soren manages to, you know, he stands up, but he doesn't fight back. He's refusing to be defeated uh, in this way, but he's desperately trying to express to uh, to Elmer this doesn't have to be who you are. You you can stand up to a person like this. And hey, especially you, you do have physical power in this situation. You just have to 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 be awake to see it. Yeah. Oh, it's just I just think about how difficult it is to literally how attached we are to our identity and how much it shapes us and how frankly unaware we are of our awareness of our identity sometimes and I just I wonder what it would do for us to cultivate awareness for our personal control, not only control of ourselves, but just our sense of being able to release control and feel free 
to cultivate more awareness of our various identities and how they affect us, right? And how they they shape us and, and mold us throughout the world. Oh, okay. Um, I want to keep on this for just a minute because there's, I want to, but I want to lean into two moments that are pretty pivotal, I think, for understanding control in relation to Finnegan. Um, one's at the beginning and one's when Callum goes all ocean arcanum. And so the the first being the beginning where, you know, Finnegan's giving this speech to Callum saying, you know, Domina Profundus is the worst because she limits my control. Um, and the way he phrases it is that essentially anything that limits his freedom is a signal to him that he is lacking in control. And so that to him is like, okay, now I'm going to remove the stimulus that is preventing this. And so I'm going to kill Domina Profundus. Um, and, you know, Domina Profundus has more power than Finnegan does. Like she is literally more powerful. <laughs> and that means, does that therefore mean that she has more freedom? Uh, and it, to Finnegan, it seems like it does because he's outside of control here. And so I'm I'm curious, I, I say this one to illustrate my question around, I guess, like, what is the relationship between uh, freedom, control, and the fact, and freedom, control, and power, I guess, um, especially in relation to, like, I'm thinking about government, right? In order to be free, the government has to have a certain amount of control, right? In order to legislate. And like, I don't know, I, I'm going to pause here. There's a, there's a lot going on, but relationship between freedom, control, and power is, I, I'm curious about y'all's thoughts on, on that relationship, generally speaking. So it's, it's a simple question. A simple question where we just, you know, answered the unsolvable questions of government and the relationship between power and freedom. Um, I will, I'm, I'm not going to answer your question because I'm rude, but uh, I will say that like the relationship between freedom and power is sort of like, it is what ends up driving Callum. Um, and I know, talk about Finnegan for just a sec, but the the nature to me, the, the most interesting part of the episode is that exact question. And it, it yeah. manifests in Callum because when he learned the sky arcanum, it was a, a sort of like freedom realization. And when he learns the ocean arcanum, it's almost the opposite. It's recognizing that that may not be as real all the time as it felt in, you know, that beautiful moment where you recognized the wideness of the world, the opportunity within it, and your infinite sort of like ability to reach it. Um, and now he is realizing a very opposite and painful thing. Um, but yeah, that doesn't really answer your question. That just says like, hell yeah, those are the themes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, mean, it, I, I nerd out when you say that because it makes so much sense that someone would go from the sky to this again to this concept of like freedom and like the just oh my gosh and then going to like nope I have no control it's just a big old mystery and I, I thought I was free but I'm not because I'm a slave to all of it and, and, and like part of me wonders if it's the relationship between it's if it's this precise question that makes it so that he is able to make this choice around this dark magic choice, right? Because I think that a lot of it is this pressure that, that you know, his friends are literally at risk 
But I also think that he's able to escape and access the Ocean Arcanum at the same time that he allows himself to do this dark magic. And so I find that to be an incredibly compelling thing that those those two things are talking to each other. <laughs> so I, I totally see that why how that's how you answered it. I do so. want to like pull it back to Finnegan just for a second, because I think there is a a sort of implied similar story to how he functions. Um, and, and that is the relationship with Domina. I feel like Finnegan was this, and, and I, I don't mean to say this is the explicit canon. This is more just like the summary of how I thought about him. Is this, uh, you know, incredibly powerful ocean mage who had a ship, had a crew, felt like he was the, you know, most powerful sailor on the ocean, whatever you want to, you know, flex. He's flexing. Somehow <laughs> he crossed this all-powerful arch dragon who absolutely open palm dunked him. <laughs> Just <laughs> well, like like with a show of force that I think like honestly traumatized him a little. Like and, and the sea shanty kind of goes into this. It is intended to be a bit of a song about a shipwreck and someone refusing to drown as a result of the shipwreck. Um and I think that really awakened in him uh, a sort of, you know, the transition from I was free to I have been harmed and now I need to prevent that from happening ever, ever again. What what methods of power do I have at my disposal to exert control over this? And his choices are quite yes. monstrous. Um, and I think Callum goes through a really similar arc in, in a, a smaller scale where he's had all control removed from him. He's powerless. He feels like he can't save the people he loves. And he is forced to use the tools at his disposal to sway the outcome in his favor. And one of the tools he chooses is something that, you know, does not feel like himself, but it sure is a tool that he has at the in the moment. And he, he makes that choice. So anyway, that's my long, my long spiel about Finnegan and Callum as intentionally kind of like going through this event that forces them to yeah. have a different perspective on what it means to exert control over something there for it yeah we, we get a little kind of preview i mean you mentioned you know uh big questions of government i don't know if we'll get into that kind of thing but we can use our uh small example of dragon government where uh government. yeah when someone steps out of line sometimes literally when a human crossed the border uh abazandum would killed them it seemed like uh yep. when finnegan exerted you know control that was seen as uh improper domina probably intended to kill him probably didn't think oh, i'll just smash this guy's boat and leave him to drown and he'll probably come out okay and grow as a person i don't know if that was going through her mind um but then there's kind of a preview in an earlier episode this season where uh claudia is fighting against a dragon a kind of you know small uh small version of this very same encounter and it's kind of like you're used to having all the power in these situations and that's changing and that kind of terrifies you and that's kind of you know the uh, seemingly the way Finnegan kind of responded with uh i have been put into a place where i lack power and the best way to never feel that again is to amass more power uh and also destroy the things that could exert power over me um so yeah i mean when you talk about kind of like the relationship between freedom and power um and yeah like i think i think what we're often trying to say in the show but also trying to grapple with the the difficulties of of making it happen is when 
um, all of your principles are backed up by the by the point of a sword. The people who disagree with them are very likely to to respond in kind. Um, and it's an enormous uh, challenge that uh, is not going to come with problems, but at least striving to do something else, I think, uh, is is valorous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, during both of those um, comments, I was thinking about how we are so reactionary as a species in that... Um, you know, when there are so many stories around having when someone falls in love and they get burned, the tendency is to up. Oh, well, I'm never going to fall in love again. Never doing that again. I'm going to and I'm going to put up this wall and prevent it from happening. And usually the story is, OK, how do I come out of this and unfold? Right. And it I, that is the reaction when people this fight or flight instinct that you're talking about with, with Finnegan in relation to Davina and that with, with Callum, with Claudia, when you get burned, you are like, okay, now I'm going to do everything in my power to prevent that from ever happening again. And there's this weird uh, tendency to just, the pendulum goes way too far. And it's just this discernment around, okay, how do I, how do I tell if I'm going too far? Um, and that's something that I think we have a lot to learn. And I think maybe we will continue to to learn that. But I want to be mindful of time and and give us a little attention to to the B plot. Um uh is there a moment in this uh with with Kareem, Janai, um anybody in, in this section that is is calling your name that you want to go to first? I think. Kareem's entire philosophy is about uh, trying to have control over something that you cannot have uh, extreme control over. I mean, he speaks entirely in the narratives of history, in you know the strength of our culture, and so on and so forth. Um, yeah. And I think that kind of like traditionalist mindset is often trying to grapple uh, things that are too big and too weird and too complex to tell simple stories about. Um, yeah. And that's what Kareem is always trying to do. Um, but I think what's interesting is Kareem loses here. He often loses. He's a little <laughs> loser. Um, but the power of that narrative that he's managed to kind of like, you know, he's planted those seeds. Um, people are starting to hear his message. And the story is powerful enough to win him the season in the end anyway. Um, and, you know, like telling people that kind of story that's easily understandable, that, you know, speaks to some part of their uh, their own identity, something they feel like they're losing control over, uh, can I think uh, sway people a great distance? I mean, in this episode, I think Kareem reaches too far in having control over something that he doesn't truly understand. A figure like uh, Kim Dale, who, you know, Moon Primal, uh, her loyalties are much more uh, elusive and shifting than I think Kareem really uh, understood at the time. Um, and he gets burned in that front. He was relying on something he took as like an iron truth. And Kim Dale in the end uh, is like, well, uh, I don't really care about your little stories. All I care about is this choke around my neck and the rules around that are not quite what you thought they were. That's very sun magic, by the way, in comparison to everything else we're talking about. There's a thing around my neck that's going to kill me and it's bound by very, very specific iron truths. Anyway, that's for, I don't know, six years from now when we're doing a retrospective on this. But um. <laughs> 
yeah, uh, Kareem tells himself a very simple story about how this is going to go. It doesn't. He doesn't actually have control over the situation, and he loses. But he wins the war <laughs> because of all that stuff I said earlier. So that's my speed run of trying to understand Kareem's uh, attempt to have control both in this episode, but also over his entire life. Uh, I hope it made sense. I okay. Let, yeah, I hope y'all will forgive me. Uh, I I'm gonna say it. I think Kareem's narrative is an incredible allegory for the Make America Great Again campaign. Um, I. I am being blunt about it. <laughs> like it is this constant callback to what used to be normal. Uh, we want to get back and go back to what once was uh, because that's when we were best. Um, and it's really interesting because it's this nationalist, hyper-nationalist, hyper-traditionalist, hyper-everything uh, to the point where he's willing to kill his sister. Like, in front of her right like just do it oh you won't do it i'll do it and it's um it is the a, a very dangerous perspective and i don't want to discount the value of the heritage he is trying to preserve that is important and necessary and the way he is going about it through this this means of attempting to main control maintain control in this way feels very Trumpy to me. Um, I'm going to pause there. <laughs> uh, and just like, am, again, how off base am I here? I don't think you're necessarily off base. I think that's one of those things where uh, it's hard not to play it kind of KG as writers, but it's not <laughs> as though we can avoid sort of putting our personal feelings on uh, our our current real life existence into our work in some capacity. I will say to Kareem's favor, um, I do think his he has suffered an incredible trauma. Like the the damage to his culture is in this case kind of real, whereas I would say that the damage to the culture uh, that the Make America Great campaign is fear mongering and yep. you know at its core very very hateful, but and again, this sounds like so dangerously almost apologetic, but yeah, it um, is there there was a violence done to to the Sunfire Elves, and but Kareem's reaction to that is um, one of exerting control and power in a way that is weaponizing, you know, yeah. fear and picking the wrong targets. I think that it's it's all very complicated. So I want to I, I do just want to say like. It's not meant to be like a one-to-one, -one, but it is for sure something that we thought about and yeah. can't really escape again. Like it comes out of our brains. What do you want? It's <laughs> well, I, think that's, I think that's really important to highlight too. And I'm not intending to imply that it's a one-to-one -one comparison. There are, however, significant uh, themes that are similar that help us perhaps when we critically engage this, this story in the Dragon Prince help us critically engage real life as well. And For I think sure. you've given us some really important differentiating factors, right? The, the difference is that this trauma that Kareem and his culture has experienced is very real, right? And very important to consider. And that also begs the question of when, like, I think oftentimes people attempt to judge 
how someone bounces back from trauma, which is, I think judgment is fair. How we judge is important. But what happens here is Kareem is unilaterally, unilaterally making a decision for a significant group of people. Um, and it is becoming a, it's interesting because he's garnering, garnering, he's garnering uh, a significant um, following, right? Because I think Ian, I think you were talking about this is he simplifies things to a point where it's like, it becomes binary. It becomes black and white. It becomes you're either with me or you're against me, which are common tactics used by people in positions of power and privilege that would leverage <laughs> the masses against others. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's this weird uh, attempt to seize control as a trauma response, which we already realized is something we do when we're burned by love, which seeming is seemingly less innocuous. We attempt to seize control. This is just what it looks like on a grander scale, right? It's, it's an attempt to seize control and I'm going to do everything to prevent that from ever happening again it's this it's the same but it's just on a very different scale it feels like right also, like right yeah I, I, th I think to both of your points one thing to note is that even though they are all sort of like quote faceless npcs the the, the sunfire elves themselves are all people of agency and people who are have been harmed and people who are looking for a way to re-exert control over their own path too. And I, I think uh, quite honestly, good, you know, way of looking at the, the Trump comparison with Kareem is from certain perspectives, he's a buffoon. Like how, how can any, like he keeps losing, he keeps losing. He's not actually that great at the things he claims to be great about at, you know? Um, however, the things he is saying and doing are having an effect on people. And in the background, this sort of like, this churn is occurring that is, you know, outside of even like the, the spat between Kareem and Janai on a personal level, like people are responding. And like Ian said, like he is winning in that he's starting to, to sway a not insignificant amount of, of power towards yeah. himself, despite in the moment coming off as this, you know, repeat loser, um, which again, from a, a perspective of real world, that's kind of how I feel about Maga yeah. shit. <laughs> yep. Um, Sorry, Ian, I keep interrupting and you clearly want to say stuff. No, I mean, I think we're kind of uh, hitting all the all the the points here. But I mean, I think, yeah, Kareem is constantly trying to, to simplify. He loved telling that story in season four about how a big bloody war got reduced to two people fought each other. And that's really comforting, right? Like if we could just reduce literally everything in the world to extremely simple stories, right versus wrong, we're going to beat them. Uh, then you feel like you have a complete understanding of the world. You feel like you can move about in security and safety. You feel like you have control. Um, but again, there's no easy answer. If you're going to rally people, you, no one's going to stand up and be like, I'm running for president. And my stance is everything's really complicated. I don't know. We'll figure it out, I guess. Maybe or maybe we won't. And that's OK, too. Like, that's not a rallying cry to anything. Um, so I think, you know, and it, this is kind of going beyond into like, you know, how do we solve all of humanity? But uh, <laughs> what is a kind of like way to uh, tell simple stories that do nevertheless manage to uh, allow for the complexities and nuances of the world?
Yeah, I mean, I just I think that the world would be better off if we could if we could collectively embrace the ocean arcanum. <laughs> right? Like I think the world would benefit greatly by recognizing that I I have no control. I am at the mercy of the the ocean or that which is something that is greater than myself, right? Whatever that is for you is whether it's love, whether it's the ocean, whether whether it's, you know, uh, whatever it may be, there is something that is greater than me. And therefore, there's just an element of like the unknown that we all kind of have to embrace that we will never know the mystery of of everything. And I just I, I whoa, it is such a thing in in our culture. And I say our culture, meaning not just the United States, but like a Western culture to presume that we have way more control than we do um and i think that's why this conversation is so compelling right is that this is this <laughs> this is too real this is it's, it's real right Ugh. yeah 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 this episode is actually the result of like several years of taking psychic damage from the real world it's yeah, yeah. kind of it's pretty clear yeah Oh man, you know, I'm also reminded I had a great conversation uh, about the the reflections leading up to this season. We didn't get to all of them, but the the one about Kareem was particularly interesting because our our guest changed my perspective a little bit because I am clearly biased against Kareem. Like my reading is not very generous, and their reading of of Kareem was very generous. And I was like, dang, that's that's so important because I just never considered that perspective. And, you know, at, like all of these people are more expansive than the binary that we we sometimes offer them. And I think we do a great job on this podcast of expanding particularly the, the dragging, the heroes, so to speak. And I must admit that I am sometimes like a, a victim of my own personal biases when it comes to the villains, right? Or the, the quote villains um, in that I sometimes are, am limited in seeing their expansiveness as well. Um, you know, cause Finnegan has a story. Finnegan has a long story that if we, I'm sure that, you know how all the, um, there were, have been a series of books recently that came out uh, from the villains perspective uh, so Wicked being one of them from Wicked Witch of the West. And uh, there's a bunch of versions of those. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that if there was a story written from the perspective of Finnegan, that we would we would see him as the protagonist. It just so happens that we are we are <laughs> biased in the way that this story is being told. And part of being a part of this ocean arcanum is recognizing that we don't have a whole story. And <laughs> right Right. Well, from his perspective, for sure, I, I think he would make the argument that I'm the coolest boy who's never done anything wrong. And it, it was, in fact, the world's, you know, cruelty to me that made me what I am. Um, but again, it's 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 perspective. Like, I'm sure you could write a very sympathetic story for him that might make you question, you know, how, how much am I rejoicing at his fate? You can inject all sorts of I, I could do a tragic backstory for like anybody, honestly, because it's my favorite silly juice to play with but um yeah i think at the end of the day from the, the takeaway for finnegan for me is this is what happens when someone like you said earlier the pendulum swings so hard um exactly. back 
from a, a an experience that hurt them to something now that now they are an agent almost of that hurt rather than oh. themselves in in a way and i i truly love him because he's simple in that regard and what a useful narrative tool yeah and i i think this goes without saying is that you know just because we have that sympathetic backstory doesn't mean that they don't deserve to be held accountable for their actions. Um, and I think that's true of Kareem. I think that's true of any villain. Uh, and I say villain liberally here. Um, but it also is that for our, our, our quote heroes as well. Like, I, I think that we should all be held accountable for the things that we do that harm others. Um, even if our intent was for the quote greater good i think if we wanted to do an even messier version of this whole episode we could have chosen accountability and we would have just like <laughs> spun our heads into the sand and died because it's very 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 difficult yeah oh man alas we chose control and i can no longer control what we have already done and so i will just keep it on the recording and uh we're gonna head into our next segment folks so stay with us here we are going to dive into our final couple of segments with you and with our guests and i'm thrilled that they are joining us for our sacred practice this episode and uh, our sacred practice this time is called the wonder square and if you can imagine a two by two grid um, what happens is we will pick a random line from the show and we're going to fill in what this normally looks like, which is a two by two grid. Uh, and each of those squares in that in that grid are think, feel, do, and wonder. So the question is, after we pick this line, what does that line make us think of? Inside the show, outside the show, any kind of way. What does it make us think of? What does it make us feel when we hear that line? What are the emotions that bubble up for us? And then what does it make us want to do? Like, oh, now that we've kind of talked about this a little bit, I feel like I should do this more or not or something along those lines. And then finally, does it ling linger, lift any questions up that are lingering for us? What are we wondering about? What's what's the backstory we might be questioning around or something along those lines? And so that'll become more apparent as we step through. But Devin and Ian, I, I'm excited that you all are going to walk through this journey with me. Uh, we're going to kind of go in that order, think, feel, do, and wonder. And I have picked a random line. Are you ready to hear it? They are yes. not. It's <laughs> very weird because we wrote this line no matter what. Yeah, yeah. they wrote the line. So I'm going to read what they wrote back to them. Uh, the line is, why do you keep getting up? Why getting ding? Um, and so I imagine both of you, or at least one of you, know, <laughs> knows where that line comes from. Um, 
Can either of you help us remember the line from the show? Where did it? Where Where did this happen? Elmer asks Soren why he keeps getting up, even though all that's going to happen if he gets up again is he gets punched back to down to the ground again. Yeah. Am I right? That's, that's precisely <laughs> correct. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Soren has been beaten a few times. He keeps standing up, and after the third or fourth time, Elmer's like, "Why do you keep getting up?" Um. So I'm going to invite us into this practice. And now that we know the context and, and the scene that it's kind of evoking for us, um, what does this line make you think of? Why do you keep getting up? Um, in terms of, am I allowed to answer in a sort of meta way, like the process Absolutely. of making the episode? Um, the delivery on that line from the voice actor, like really hits this note of, genuinely not understanding and i i don't think deadwood has ever seen someone with this level of resilience uh in the face of cruelty yeah. and he's genuinely like the thing that's going to happen to you when you stand up for yourself literally and figuratively is you are going to be harmed so genuinely why like there's this it's not like a why do you keep getting like it's not sneering it's 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 100% earnest. And I, I really like appreciate the voice actor's take on that line because I think it it carries a lot of just depth for, for Elmer. Um, and so that's what I think of. <laughs> not not really like an, a deep emotional answer, but I, I'm often just like really, really in awe of actors' ability to instill so much into a little, little line. Yeah, no, that's so good because like I think what it, like I, I think about what when when would I say this? And I'm thinking, I'm imagining like, uh, I used to be a summer camp counselor and and like, I'm thinking about like dodgeball where these kids keep on getting up to get hit <laughs> by dodgeballs. I'm like, why do, you, why do you keep getting up? Like, or when I'm being snarky because I, I'm clearly winning and I'm like, why do you even try? And it's this like, it's the same kind of message. But I think what you're pointing to is that, that this is such a genuine question. Um yeah, I think that I mean that's what I'm thinking about as as you speak. Ian, what are, what are you thinking about when you hear this line? Um, funnily enough, when you first said it, I just thought about it in the context of getting up out of bed. Like Yeah, yeah, just yeah. Standing up every single day and doing something with life, even when, you know, maybe the previous day you got up and it didn't go so good. <laughs> Not many things really happened for you, etc. Um oh. but then trying to ask yourself uh or you know ask someone else like get get inside their head what is it that makes it worth it to you to to stand up get out of bed every day and, and do something yeah no like what is this motivation right what are you motivated by um and i think that's a common question used by by therapists is like what what gets you out of bed at the in the in the right like what gets you out of bed when you're x y or z um and i think that's a, a helpful question to ask especially when we're asking it genuinely um Amazing. So yeah, whatever bubbles up is perfectly lovely to hear. And we've gotten through this initial step, which is what does this line make us think of? And so now that we've we've thought about it and we've elicited some some thinking, I'm curious, what what are the feelings that emerge for you as you hear this line, whether it's related to what happened in the episode or contextually as you think about it being asked? or said in other instances, what are the feelings bubbling up? 
I think for me, one feeling that I personally struggle with is it's hard to recognize change, to see that change is happening. It can feel like getting up after being knocked down can feel, you know, what's the point? Why even try? The same thing will happen again and again, or my efforts will go nowhere. Uh, I'm not personally knocked down by a large wooden man every day, but, you know, like the, the little things, it's like, why make the bed when it's going to get unmade again? It's like really easy to fall into a kind of defeatist attitude around things like that and uh, not manage to find that reason to to keep getting up after being knocked down. Um, so yeah, I, this is a, a, a thing I do have to ask myself uh, fairly frequently is like try and remember that actions in the world can make change, even if it often feels like it's too big and too difficult to do anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's big. Yeah, I just, I think for me, as I, I I think about this is oftentimes when I feel compelled to ask this question in a genuine way, most of the time I'm feeling like grief or, or sadness in, in the sense of like, like why the world sucks? Like, <laughs> like why are we having to deal with all like it's it's painful um and you know soren's in literal pain here but like in a way i think emotional pain to our brain feels has a similar feeling <laughs> to physical pain right like it's um neurocognitively painful um to be in a space where and I think to ask the question, like I'm thinking about asking the question, like why, like why are you in that space? It's like, ugh, it's terrible. But also to answer it is just, ugh, there's a lot there. So I, I don't know. Those are the things that bubble up for me is that that kind of grief and sadness, which is you know dark. But here we are. Um, <laughs> Devin, what about you? <laughs> uh, it's very similar, by the way. All all those kind of tired, existentially, navel gazing. Uh, type of literally why um, not to be glib about it again but relating back to the dragon prince a little I do actually think that's one of the core questions of the show is you know it's very I don't want to say preachy but it kind of is about like peace is possible you know like you can make a difference in the world but then I think uh, one thing about mystery of Erebus to me is that it's a little bit of a challenge on the naivety of those statements um, and I think this this particular line invokes that feeling of like but but is it though like there's always going to be those moments when you're trying to be that person when you're trying to be the hero when you're trying to preserve the goodness in yourself that asks you like literally why if the world is going to continue to be a terrible place on the whole <laughs> like what is the point um and there's not a good answer for that as a as a human you, you kind of have to find the answer yourself like what is what are the small things that make it worth it or what what motivates me to get up every day and do my best um but yeah it's it's definitely the the slightly cynical is again the wrong word but the the realistic undertone to a show that's all about you know kids attempting to change the world is the is the world even changeable and should they just stop you know um so yeah that's what that's how i feel is <laughs> Oof. This this line got some feelings for us. This is good. Um, okay, so we're halfway there. We've gotten through two steps uh, out of four. The third step is, what is this line calling us to do? 
um, what is it asking of us uh, to do in our in our own lives? Um, so I'll, I'll let that marinate for a second and then whomever is ready uh, first can can share. I think it's kind of I'll do, I'll do the very literal version, which is it's asking you to get up to find the reason to to ask yourself, okay, literally why and to to come up with a a motivation, um, which can be monstrously difficult sometimes. And I think the context of the line and the show like acknowledges that like, oh, you're you're getting beat to hell. Why, why do you keep getting up? Um, but it it really does, you know, in the in the context of just this practice, it asks, "Hey, I'm asking you as a person, like right now in the world, what what is it that is forcing you through the day? You know, whether it's something you're excited about, whether it's something you're scared of in the future, whether it's something that you're preparing for. Like, what is it that makes you do the yeah. things you're going to take action on throughout the day? Um, and I know my personal answer to that is, I'm gonna have a baby in less than a month, so I better be ready for that <laughs> that'll be an enormous personal failure if uh if i don't take the appropriate steps to prepare for such an event um so it's easy for me currently like oh yes this is the this is the motivating factor i have but it has, it's not always easy sometimes it's literally i don't know man i have to i have to go do my job you know <laughs> yeah yeah the clarity around what and when is motivating us is, is interesting, right? You like this is a, a big shift in motivation. Um, yeah, interesting. Like I, I, I think about the just the value of like this. You're right. It's implying here that getting up is the right thing to do. Um, you know, the person asking it is genuinely curious why. Um, but the the context is implying that getting up is the right thing. Um, and, you know, I, I think for me, it's being an upstander, right, is speaking out and saying what needs to be said. And, and um, I think about going to school and like, I'm, I'm, I have one, I have eight months left <laughs> and I am so ready to be done. And there are definitely days where I'm like, is it, gosh, I just like, I don't even need to do, why am I doing this? <laughs> and it's just like this motivation of just get up and do it um, isn't really compelling. It's the get up, do it because what you're doing is going to mean something for a lot of people when you're a therapist and doing that work. Right. And uh, sometimes I stop at just get up and do it. But if I remember my why, as Simon Sinek, Sinek would say it, 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 I'm I'm way more likely to get out and get up. Um, so I, I guess I'm just compelled to um, focus on crafting and cultivating what my why is as it continues to adapt and shift and change. Um, which brings us to Ian. What is this line calling you to do? Um. Yeah, I think there's a kind of like... Uh, consider intention like really examine some of the things it's you know i kind of it made me think of the getting up out of bed the routine aspect of things the the doing it to doing it kind of thing um and i think you know why do you keep getting up it's asking you specifically like you know consider yeah. yourself consider the areas you do have 
control in the world consider the places you can make a change um and whenever that kind of like defeatist attitude uh, comes in or like what's the point of doing this thing like try and try and catch yourself doing that and actually think to yourself like you know what things do i have control over which things have i kind of like you know given up on too readily and things like that why do you keep getting up <laughs> yeah thinking on that question all right everybody we we are uh running through we're doing really well we are pros it feels like at this like we know we didn't need any practice we got this down uh line four the step four i should say is what are we still left wondering uh what as we hear this line what what are the questions that come up for you uh if any and so i'll read it one more time why do you keep getting up i wonder about elmer himself I, this is sort of where we leave him in, you know, in the, the context of his story. It is this question, it is this moment that sort of drives him to get up a little bit. And he turns on his master, he opens up a new path for himself, but I have no idea what that looks like or what he's going to, you know, experience, what, what that choice means. But I think, you know, he smiles, his, his cool, goofy smile and... <laughs> There is some reassurance that, like, this was, of course, a scary world-altering choice and change for him, but he has chosen to get up and pursue this yeah. new wide-open world, and I think it's a very optimistic one for him. And so I just wonder, what's that guy going to get up to? I hope he has a good time. <laughs> I hope the the world is, you know, you know, he 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 now has the opportunity to see the kindness in the world instead of the the spooky darkness and i hope it goes well for him yeah oh me too yeah um i i think i was actually thinking on a similar vein here but i i was wondering i think it, as he kind of has this relationship with soren that is now newly cultivated i like he makes the decision to like end a person like he throws uh it's implied anyway that you know Finnegan is no longer with us because he was eaten by a leviathan um but i i wonder like does does elmer like he had a long relationship with this person and it was not healthy <laughs> uh but i i'm curious what his lingering thoughts are after this right after this huge moment um i'm just curious how it's how it sits with him the next day in the next couple of weeks um yeah that's what i'm wondering what about you ian if anything it makes me wonder if anyone ever stops asking themselves this question like is it is it possible <laughs> to reach such a place of like such great understanding of your own identity that kind of like deep ocean arcanum feeling but also sprinkled in with a bit of that sky arcanum i know exactly what i can do I, my goals are so clear every day and uh, I don't have to ever ask this question. I mean, like Devin alluded to, it's possible that something like the sharpening of motivation of yeah. there's a, a child here and child must be taken care of. Um, you know, that, that I think that can definitely clarify for a while, but then even thinking ahead into the future, like, you know, helping to, to shape a person who will eventually ask the, these questions themselves almost feels like that's just going to be a, a never ending journey of trying to figure out uh, my 
identity, my place in this world, my understanding of it, my attempt to to put something out into it before my relatively brief existence here is over. Damn, got grim. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think I, I my my grim answer is no. You'll never answer those questions, and that's okay. <laughs> well, thanks, Devin. That's the ocean argument. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> man. Yeah, the ocean is dark and deep. The tides are true. Um. Amazing. So thank you both. We we have successfully navigated this this practice. And this is a practice that people can implement at home and, and do. I, I, I think people will see here that it really creates really cool conversation um, and enables an interesting deep dive into just one specific line. Imagine doing it with every line and ever. Um, that would be wild. But uh, <laughs> uh, we're not going to do that. Instead, we're going to move to our final segment. Uh, which is gratitude. Uh, one, I'm grateful for both of you for being with me for this episode. But uh, what's a, a who rather is a character from this episode that you are thankful for, and why? I'm just gonna say Finnegan because in a lot of ways, both meta, like he's the type of character I really like to write. The type of complicated and viscerally violent person that I find compelling in fiction and obviously terrify me in real life but I had a great time writing this character um I also think it is so useful um and fascinating and reflective to to both write and to experience characters that represent a sort of like swing of the pendulum so far that like have they swung off into irredeemable you know lost uh too much of themselves type territory I, it's it's some of the most cathartic and you know difficult and challenging type of of fiction to engage with and i'm like really grateful that we got to play with such a character in a show that is ostensibly for children um because i think it's important to sort of like both encounter you will encounter people like that in your life obviously you're gonna have to learn how to reconcile people like this but also to see the potential for every single one of us to swing that way and to to become like this um and so i'm really grateful that we got to do a character like that in the dragon prince because i think he represents a lot of the the pricklier side of some of our more optimistic um our more optimistic tone and just thanks pirate man yeah absolutely and how about you i almost feel like we didn't spend that much time talking about Callum who's a very central part of this episode but um in a kind of meta sense for why I'm grateful for for Callum in this episode I talked before about how difficult this one was to break a lot of like sitting in silence and those moments always bring back the fear of like ah I'm a fraud I've never been able to write anything at all uh in history um but when this one came together I just remember that all of Callum's actions in particular once we kind of like got the ball rolling uh felt very alive felt like we'd really kind of like dug deep into this guy's brain uh and i think a lot of you know you always hear um you know once you've uh, understand your characters well enough they'll 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 surprise you those kind of kind of act and uh i i kind of forget that and i sometimes think that's kind of corny there's always the work of writing to be done but um i think with the kind of thematic groundwork that i felt like we uh had done here and kind of surprised ourselves to discover that we'd we'd, we'd done here without always being conscious of it um, Callum really had a kind of very 
full and alive sequence of actions in this episode that, that really made me appreciate him. I feel like I can, you don't see any of it happen, but it must have been a kind of torturous moment of uh, self-doubt that it becomes realization when he really hits on the ocean arcanum when he's below decks and decides to decides to do dark magic decides to admit that this is a complicated part of himself that he doesn't fully understand but this is how he's going to take control of this situation i mean that i can i can kind of feel his feelings in that moment so so yeah uh this was kind of a, a relatively early pandemic one to write and it, it uh going through that journey with callum uh, I, I was pretty grateful to do I love that. That's so true. I feel like recently, especially in this season, and not just this season, but like it feels like Callum has been uh we have been given the most expansive look at Callum's journey as opposed to the rest of the characters and his decisions as to why he is making the the dark magic versus the you know the arcanum versus X, Y, and Z. I I, I feel this might this might just be me but it feels as though we've got the most expansive version of him and i just think that that really came out in this episode as well like so yeah i and that's probably just to due to the nature of like in order to expound about how you learn an arcanum <laughs> you need to like walk the the viewer through how they their mind process their mind process um so yeah i i, I think as we encounter the Arncanums in our own lives, we recognize how expansive we are too. Um, but I digress. I'm really grateful. Like, uh, there are so many people I can be, uh, like Soren, duh. Like, what an incredible servant. Like, oh my goodness, what a what a joy. Like, everyone in the drag gang who's like, let me give my hand up for you, Callum, is like, like, like they're just like so willing. And, you know, it felt kind of like a bit, but at the same time, it was genuine. Um, but I, I'm going to choose Amaya. Um, I, and, and this is partially because of a result of our conversation during the Wonder Square, but this, this, why do you keep getting up? I feel like Amaya has a really good sense of her why. Um, and she is very able to make decisive decisions <laughs> um, around how and when to pr protect other people, has a very good sense of uh, who's in power and who deserves to be protected. And I, I feel like she navigates in a very um, clear, with a lot of clarity um and so i'm really grateful for that model for for us i i, I as as viewers i'm i'm really grateful for for that model uh in light of our conversation um it feels like she probably has a good answer to that question around why she keeps getting up in the morning um can i do a bonus secret one a, a bonus not so secret one <laughs> um in preparing for this episode i thought a lot about rayla's largely off-screen journey with all these themes uh and how they kind of relate to the understanding of Ocean Arcane that we come to here. But uh, it really goes back to when she revealed that she had this fear of water to Callum and kind of articulated about how when she's on land, she's very sure of herself. She knows where her feet are going to fall as an assassin whose job you know, requires that kind of physical control. She hates the water and the, the lack of, of sureness it gives her. Um, and then all these kind of moments throughout the seasons of Rayla deciding to make... Yeah. A great personal sacrifice to take the entire burden on herself because she knows she'll have 
control over it in that case, right? Um, and we don't really draw a huge amount of attention to it, but spoilers in the next episode, she kind of has a, a breakthrough with uh, being able to, to, to put herself uh, into that kind of water situation that she talked about hating before. But I think there's been a kind of like slower burn uh, realization for Rayla that there are uh, depths she can't understand, think she's going to have to be okay with not being in control of. Um, and I think that kind of like neatly tied into her ability to get over this kind of this fear this phobia oh god that's so true yeah spoiler alert next episode's great i've already recorded it uh it's gonna be lovely um and it's a great uh end of the season can you believe we're already almost there it's almost the end y'all everybody watched the season 30 times before now it's fine um Okay, everyone, we finally did it. We have uh, achieved another episode, Achievement Unlocked. Um, Devin and Ian, if you are interested in being found by our listeners, uh, how would you like them to do so? You may not find me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm still on Twitter, despite the fact that it's a trash fire, um, at Devin Giel, Um, And I guess the same on Blue Sky now, if you would like to migrate away from the trash fire um, blue, blue sky yeah those those are kind of the places that i do my silly little business still to this day for better and worse i'm also still on twitter at ian a hendry i could talk another entire episode about how the yawning maw of social media has made us all feel like we have no control over uh the paths of destiny and you know how uh, it challenges uh, in traumatic ways our sense of identity and sense of uh, understanding of how humanity is meant to function every single day. Uh, yeah, but I won't. But you can read my silly little tweets over there if you'd like. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and more. You can ask questions about <laughs> on on Twitter. Amazing. Yeah, we're we're on Twitter also. BNB underscore Pod. Uh, we'll happily answer, maybe not answer, but engage those questions uh, with you as well. <laughs> um, and uh, the best place to find us, however, is, of course, our Patreon, uh, BNB underscore pod there. We have live episodes monthly, uh, lots of cool things happening. We're actually running a uh, an Avatar Legends campaign, and we're having a blast with some of our uh, our patrons there. There's a lot of cool things happening if you're if you're interested um and uh once again i'll thank both of you devin and ian for for joining us this has been an incredible journey this has been a an intense episode um but i think we knew that going in considering the content so thank you for for indulging all of us um, thank you so much for having me back i really think we solved humanity in this one yeah, yeah we, for sure it's all easy now we got the answers gonna, yeah I, I know exactly how i'm gonna wake up tomorrow um all right, everybody, until next time, be well, 